Well, good morning. Welcome to Hope City Church. My name is Isaiah. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining. I'm trying to look at you right now in the camera. (laughs) And uh, we appreciate you being here with us as well, joining us, being part of our church family. And thank you all for being here today. I I have the opportunity to, uh, to share with you this message in our series. And I, but before I begin, I am super pumped because my Kansas City Chiefs won yesterday um, in spite of Mahomes' injury. We were still able to pull it out, so I'm very pumped this morning, so I'm ready to go. But uh, more importantly, though, I I get the opportunity to share with you a part of our vision series, uh, which is called My Three Best Friends, and it's based out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm going to read that passage because I want you to understand the three best friends that Pastor Chris introduced to us last week, which have been the three best friends from the beginning of our, uh, you know, coming together as a church. And that is this passage right here. So I'm going to read it. You can follow along on screens, uh, or you can have your Bibles open, whatever you want. It says this, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. It's number one, this friend number one, faith. Your labor prompted by love, number two. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So faith, love, hope. And last week, Pastor Chris shared with us what it means to live by faith. So if you missed that, you can go to our podcast or you go on YouTube and rewatch that or listen to it. But this morning, I get to talk to you about what it would look like for us to be known by love. But specifically, what does it look like? What does it mean to actually be known by our love for each other? So I'm going to to bounce around a couple passages and land in one particular verse that is very, I'm sure, very, very familiar to you, whether you grew up in the church or not. But I want to begin first by just highlighting John chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. So uh, again, open up your Bibles there, or it's on the screen. So here we go. It says this, now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, as you know, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Okay, so there's three family members. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So we're giving, giving some context. So these sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a message to him, who? Jesus, and said this, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, The sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And it says this in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Let me just pray for us. Lord, we, we, whether we admit it or not, We need you far more than we ever will realize, than we could ever imagine. And God, I want want to encounter you every single day because I need it. I need it, and I think we all need it. And so I ask, God, that you would meet us in your word in this place. I pray that we would see more and more of you through your word. 
And God, that we would see more and more of your extraordinary goodness in this world, God, as we, as we glean from your truth that we hear today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I feel good. You feel good? Okay. Have you ever heard anyone say to you, or maybe you said this, in the heat of the moment, you, you, you end up saying things you don't mean. You've heard, you've heard this phrase? Yes? Yeah. Two, okay, three of you. Sweet. Uh, so it's going to be a great morning. Uh, maybe you said this, maybe you were uh, guilty of it this morning, right? You woke up and in the heat of the moment, you said something you didn't mean. Uh, I think that we all could admit that, that that is the case. But can I just say that I'm not so sure I agree with this statement. I think in the heat of the moment, you actually say some stuff that you really mean, like you really mean it. You just wish you didn't say it out loud. Okay. I think when things intensify, when circumstances get difficult, when we get stressed out, I see a lot of students in college go through this, in high school as well, but a lot. When they're stressed out, things come out. When things are complicated, it's difficult. I think that what we really believe actually starts to spill out. Boil, bubble, burst. What we really believe about people, what we really believe about life, what we really believe about God, and what we really believe about ourselves. I think somehow those circumstances, depending on how stressful and how complicated they can be, they, they end up slipping through the cracks. I had one of those situations uh, I've been married for 22 years, going on 23 this year. And to say I only had one, that's a lie. That's a complete lie. I've had many, but, but one in particular that I remember, um, it was at the very beginning of our marriage. And we thought, we got married and we thought, this is going to be a piece of cake. Like everyone's having all these problems. They're going to, you know, doing all this stuff. And we're just like, this is so easy. We're high-fiving each other. Like, this is the best year ever. <laughs> I was 22, and she was 20 at the time, and so we were, we were pretty young, and, and I remember also not thinking how dumb we were, uh, <laughs> but we were. So year two comes along for us, and this heated moment in exchange comes along, and I'm not sure that my wife would have the same version of this story, but I will say that I get to tell my version right now, so <laughs> that's the one you're going to hear. But like I said... She, uh, I thought, I thought it was, it was awesome. Married life was awesome, uh, and I don't know, like, I don't know if I wouldn't say that it should be illegal to get married that young. It shouldn't, but I'm glad it wasn't. And but, but I feel like for my situation, like I was just way not ready. Um, I thought I was ready. You know, you feel like you're ready at that time. You're not ready. You're not ready to be married. You're not ready to have kids. Uh, so those are those are things that I realized really quickly, but. I didn't, uh, I didn't grow up around this talk about premarital counseling. And, and, and I think if you're in the church, you, you probably have heard that phrase. And if you don't know what that means, if you're going, what's premarital counseling? Basically, it's like this three-month time you get to talk about your marriage to fix all the things you're going to have in 60-plus years, right? I mean, kind of, sort of. And I figured, for me, since our, mar- our premarital counseling was only two weeks, that we were so far advanced than other people, like... <laughs> We were so, so far down the road. We're like, we don't need extra weeks. Um, idiot. Now, if you, if, you, if you didn't know our story, Jessica and I, we've known each other for probably 34 years. Um, we, were, we were neighbors. We grew up down the street from one another. And as, as a 12-year-old, 
I used to, we, a lot of the kids used to play out in the neighborhood and play different sports, played football, basketball, roller hockey. We had like roller blades back then. We had, someone had sticks and a goal. And it was awesome. Um, but then we also played, you know, my favorite sport, baseball. And, and I remember we'd be out there, my brother would be out there, her brothers, um, and the neighborhood kids. It'd be a bunch of kids playing. And, you know, she'd be out there occasionally, maybe with one of the other girls from the neighborhood. And I remember just looking at her, giving that wink, you know, and uh, say, watch this, baby. And I'd just crack a home run, you know, and I'd jog around the bases as she swooned. That didn't, ha- <laughs> that didn't happen. None of that. Ha- well, the home run happened. That definitely happened. But all the other stuff didn't happen. <clears throat> I didn't even realize at the time that she was like, that, that wasn't even a thing I was on registering in my brain um, because I was all about winning and that's all that matters, right? So like I was just ugh, focused on that. Some things never change for me. Uh, anyway, so we we're start to date and uh, later on and we go to this conference and it was talking about Gary Chapman's, Dr. Gary Chapman's five love languages. It was, some of you may be familiar with it. Uh, but basically this is kind of, it talks about five specific languages in which we tend to receive love. Now, we also give love these ways, but it's the way in which we should should understand how we receive it. And the five are this, just real quick, not in any order. The first one is quality time, which is basically just spending intentional and relationship, relational time with someone. Words of affirmation, which is speaking words, certain words of, of you know, encouragement and that things, words that will build up. Gifts, you know, it's basically giving gifts or presents. Um, and then acts of service is doing tasks for them to help them out or to just serve them. And then physical touch, which is embracing, holding hands, and any other welcomed form of touching. Now, I'm sure you're wondering what my love languages are, um, and you're probably not. Uh, but it looks at your faces, you're not. But I, I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, so my love languages, and they say you can have two or three. So mine are uh, to touch, words of affirmation, and touch me again. So I... <laughs> You should know that. But when we got married, uh, I didn't think it was all that necessary to pay attention to these things. <laughs> Idiot. I was young. Um, I, I, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, I know how women are. Like, I, I have a mom. I have a sister. I have friends. Like, I, they're all the same, right? No, they're not all the same. And, and I, did I mention that I was young when I got married? I, I said that already. So sure enough, you, the, we're in the year into marriage, and I thought that things were going really well, and I was bringing her flowers, and I was giving her gifts. And of course, uh, you know, all the married couple things, right? So little did I know that she was impervious to all of my attempts to make her feel loved the way that I thought that she needed to be loved. I didn't know this until one day uh, I came home from a long day of playing Baseball, because uh, I love it. And I played a doubleheader. And if you don't know what that means, it's, if you can imagine a really long baseball game times two, and that's what a doubleheader is. So for me, yeah, it's a fun times, right? Yeah, for a lot of people. For me, it was a great day. I got to play with uh, my friends. Uh, I got to play a sport I love. It was a long day. It was on a Sunday. And I'm, I remember going home to, to Jessica, and I thought, you know, she was going to be waiting patiently for my return. Um, and maybe some food, uh, something, you know, all those things that I thought that were going to be happening, and, and, and that didn't happen. Although I was skipping in there thinking, man, it's great to be an American. Like, I feel so good. I opened the door, I opened the door, and um, there was this chill, like, in the air. <laughs> and the door is creaking open, and like, you know, in every movie, you're like, don't go in there, dude. <laughs> Just stay out here. And so as I heard myself 
walking into the, into the, the room, I could feel like this pain in my chest because of the oxygen level had dropped significantly. And I remember thinking, something's, something's off. And, and in that moment, Jessica kind of appeared out of the shadows. And again, this is my version. Uh, she might have a different story. And she says, so how did it go? And I was like, good, everything okay? And she says, yeah, I'm fine. Now, back in those days, I was so young. I said this right. I told you this already. I didn't know what she meant. I, I, I know now. I know now. I actually thought that when she said she was okay or that she was fine, that, that she was. And, and so, um, guys, for those that are newly married or have been married just for a little bit or thinking about getting married, uh, I want to say to you that if she says anything remotely close to I'm fine or things are fine, or anything like that, there are more things that are not fine in that moment, so you should just, mm -mm. don't say anything, just listen. Um, at this point, I needed to put my jacket on because the temperature had dropped like 10 degrees, and I remember thinking, man, this is, I, don't, I don't get cold, but I'm very cold right now, and, and I just remember staying there, and after this awkward silence, she says this, she says, I don't understand, is, is this going to be a regular thing? And in that moment, I was thinking, I hope so. Like, I, I, <laughs> like, can it be? This would be amazing. I would love this. Um, and, and I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But guys, let me tell you, as a, as a veteran now, somewhat, uh, of being married, um, that I, I would have answered that a little differently these days. If she had asked me now, is this baseball thing going to be a regular thing? I would have been like, I don't know, is it? Um, I don't know if that would have been good, but I, I think that that's probably because I'm all about winning and I want to win the argument. But that is not what I said. Um, so things kind of escalated. Laundry might have been hurled my way, probably because I left it on the side of the laundry basket, not inside. The, I don't know why I do this, but I do that. And, uh, and so anyway, I was a little shocked by her self-control. And, um, and so I was, uh, I was, we were in this little argument, and I said something that I feel like it, it still sits and, and is carried with me even to this day. I said, seriously, the one fun thing that I have. And, and, um, and there were other words too, but I... I that's the one that I remember. Those are the words I remember. And, and see, I don't know, I don't know if, I, if you remembered when I was telling you about the five love languages. Jessica's love language, her main one is quality time. And what I was saying by saying that, one fun thing was that, like, that quality time with her wasn't as important. And then, two, that it wasn't as fun. Now, did I mean those things? No. But that's what I was communicating, and that I didn't realize it then, but I do now. I, I notice the difference. But I'm going to be honest, when life gets difficult, when things get heated, and they intensify, and they escalate, what I feel, or what you feel, or what we feel, often tends to come out, come to the surface, and, and spill out, maybe unintentionally. So if that's true, we go back to these verses with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
And it's, they're in a very heated moment. And their little brother, Lazarus, he's on death's doorstep. I mean, he is dying. He is ill. He's hours before passing. And like any other sisters, they've, they've attempted all other avenues to save their little brother. And now they've concluded that Jesus, the, the true miracle worker, their friend, is the only one that can help him. They need him to come and heal Lazarus. So they write a note and they send it to Jesus to compel him, to remind him. Remember, the one you love is sick. See, when things aren't going well, when our circumstances uh, are beginning to feel kind of out, out of control in our life, we start to believe that God needs some reminder of his love for us. Like, like we have to say something to compel him to love us in some other way. Let me share something a little bit about God uh, that I've discovered. My love for him does not compel him to love me. God's love compels him to love me. He himself, by himself, compels and moves him to love, period, period. It isn't, it isn't his love, it isn't how much Mary, Martha, or Lazarus love Jesus that makes him love them so much. No, he loved them in spite of all that, regardless. There's a passage that I want to just focus on, and this is gonna be the most, I'm a simple guy, and I, I think I am, maybe I'm not, uh, but I, 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 I want to just simplify one passage, one text. And my hope is that, um, that you leave here just going, okay, I, I see it a little bit differently. And, and only because of what God has been working on and doing in me and the fact that our series, our vision is to be known by love. I think that can be really vague for a lot of us. And I want to get real specific for this moment. So I'm going to be in John chapter 3, verse 16. Probably a familiar verse for many people. But if it's not, then I'm going to introduce you to one of the most popular verses that, you've, that you're ever going to hear. Um, so John 3, 16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, many of us, including myself, read that and maybe you have it memorized, a different version of it. And maybe it's even your life verse. Maybe you have it on your bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen it at a football game. But it hit me a while ago that I, and I didn't think that I've really taken this verse in like the way that I should have taken it in. But I think that's how God's word is sometimes. You see something from a different perspective each time you read it. Each time there's another layer. Each time God reveals himself. For God so loved the world. It doesn't just say, for God loved the world. It says, he so loved the world. He loved it emphatically, categorically, unequivocally, and in a very specific way. In that he gave his only son. 
What did he love so much? The world. The, the world? Like, if you hear that, you might think it's just a throwaway like, portion of this passage, right? This can't be the focus. This can't be the most important part. But it says that God so loved the world that he gave his son willingly. Now, I don't know if we understand that kind of love outside of our family. He says this to the world. Now, if you grew up in a church environment, and I only say this because I've worked with lots of students and I've watched some of the things go on in their life and I, and I, I get to know their life in deeper ways and, and watch them be products of certain environments. And, and, and you might have grown up this way where, where maybe a church or, or maybe an upbringing at home taught you that it, the world is bad and they're all bad people. And it's all bad, and you don't need to be like the world. Don't be like it. And I'm not trying to hear, be here to argue that there's not evil in this world. There's not bad in this world. That's not what my, I'm arguing. But what I'm going to say is, is that God's word says he so loved the world that he put on a human body, humbled himself, walked among us, and died for whoever. Now, I don't know about you, but like this verse, it, it just seems too far out there for me to fully comprehend it. If, you give, if, if, if I gave you something like, I don't know, a jacket, maybe a bike, or I give you a car, I'm gonna expect that I'm gonna see you around town wearing that jacket, riding that bike, driving that car, honking at me and waving like, hey, thank you, thank you. I don't, I don't like that I'm this way. I'm just telling you that I, I will be that way. I don't want to be that way, but I am that way. Uh, but I... Or, or we get this gift and it's like, you know, we, maybe we return it for something else or we resell it or we stage it in the closet for regifting later, you know, like one of those things. God gives his son for whoever. I don't know if you've thought about what kind of love that is. God loves people who are bad and continue, continually do bad things. And some of these people are not going to ever love him. In fact, some of these people are always going to be bad, and yet he stays in love with them. And I think it would be foolish to think that we're not those people. Because we, I think at times we go, oh, we measure us. We're a little better than this person. I'm like, I'm not that bad. But the fact that is, there are times where we are very unlovable. And yet God stays in love with those people. Like, that doesn't make sense to me, and that shouldn't make sense to you. We would never do that in our relationships. I mean, rarely, it's rare. But God loves the world. It says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we loved him first, but that he loved us, period. There are four different words for love in the Greek language, and you've probably heard them before. I'm not gonna go through all four, but the word for love that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, which is our series, our vision series verse, for, uh, in John 3, 16, and in 1 John 4, 10, the word is agape love, agape. Agape is this highest form of love, it's this charitable, self-sacrificing, unconditional, the the it's the act of the will to love regardless. But this isn't the love that 
we're familiar in our culture. It's, it's not the love that Mary and Martha use when they say, hey, the one you love, that's not the word they use. They use phileo, and that's a brotherly love. It's a warmth and affectionate love. It's a familial love. It's a love that you have with your family members. You don't have that with your enemies. That's not the kind of love you have. Or with people who are not your enemies, but you don't really care that much about. This word love is one of the most often referred to when we use, when we use the word love, this phileo word. It's, it's what we sing about in songs. It's, it's the earthly love. It's how people become best friends. It's how they become not best friends too. Sometimes, I mean, it's issues with that type of love, right? You didn't text me back in 30 seconds, so I guess our relationship's on the fringe, you know. But see, Mary and Martha write their note to Jesus and they say, Lord, the one you love and loves you back is ill. See, the, th- the sisters in that text think that, the, that Jesus' love for them and their brother is this phileo kind of love. And they honestly believe that God phileos, like God loves them that way. And see, I think many of us in this room think that God loves us this way. He has this affection and warmth towards us based off of reciprocity. But that's not, that is not the case. God has a love that is exclusively his. And it flows from his essence and the core of his being. God doesn't feel the love that like we feel it. He doesn't merely express his love. God is love. He is not phileo. He is agape. A love that absolutely does not need any reciprocation whatsoever. It's unconditional. It's persistent. It's, it's, it's relentless. It's unwavering. And it's loyal. It's dependable. It's a love that never stops pursuing you in spite of you. It never stops pursuing the world. He has this agape love for every single person in the world. And God will never stop loving you or them because he can't. He is love. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. And it's also of God. And I think that this message is the type of message that I need to know every single day. So when I encounter people, that that is the love that spills out of me. I don't expect that from someone who doesn't know God. I don't expect that from someone who doesn't love God. But I do expect it from me that does and who is filled with the Holy Spirit and is capable of carrying that same kind of love. Not perfectly, because I'm not God, but I will do it willingly because it's a chosen act of the will to be submitted to God's will and his love and his way. And it's my strongest conviction for, for us to understand that the world needs this kind of love. It needs that unwavering love, whether they accept it or not. It's, but it's not, about, it's not about loving them if they do this thing. It's not about loving them if they say this prayer. It's not about loving them if they show up to my church, if they go to this event, if they do these things with me. No, it's loving them knowing that they won't. And that's okay. And I'm gonna love them anyway. And I'm gonna learn to love more and more that way. 
In John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, Jesus speaks of this kind of love, this agape love. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By, the, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That word love over and over and over again in that passage is agape love. And if you had a chance to say, like Jesus, some parting words to your loved ones, what would you say? Hey, make sure to use that motorcycle that's in the garage. Hey, put that hardwood floor in before, you know. We, 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 wouldn't, we wouldn't care about those things. Jesus knew he didn't have much time left with his disciples, with his loved ones. He gathers them around and says, listen, I want you to love one another just like I love you. Love one another the way that I have loved you and people will know that you are my followers because of this kind of love. Not, not the phileo love, not the other loves, agape love, a love that gives, a love that's sacrificial, a love that loves in spite of anything in return. And he gives this disciples this reminder, look, God loved you far before you loved him and in spite of all your stuff. And he says, I want you to love people and love each other the way that I love you. He gives this mandate to the disciples, but he also gives this command to us. For those that are followers of Jesus, for those who have called themselves, like they are faithful followers of God, that we as an individual and as a church, we have to collectively choose choose to love this way, to submit, to open our hands, to be willing to love people who don't look like us, who don't sound like us, who don't talk like us, who don't smell like us, who don't do the things that we do. And not to look at them with judgment because they're different, but to look at them with love because for God so loved them. And I need this. I need to hear this. This message, yes, it could be for everyone too, but I need to hear this. So when I'm having an exchange with someone or I see someone that's not like me, that's out of this contact, that's in a different place, that doesn't sound the same way, that doesn't look the same way, that I can look at them and go, God loves them and is pursuing them relentlessly. And he's put them in my way. Not so that I dismiss them, but that I love them. And how can I love them? How can I be known for the love that I want to be known for? Well, I have to be willing to sacrifice. I have to be willing to give, give away. It's my strongest belief that, that the best way for people to hear the gospel message of Jesus, his message of this agape love that we preach about, that we teach about, that we read about in God's word, is to see it lived out in you and me. That's the best way for people to understand, to truly grasp. That's the only way that I said yes to Jesus because someone loved me the way that God loved me. And I couldn't receive it at first. I couldn't. I felt too much guilt. I felt too much shame. I felt too much condemnation. How could God love me? Because I thought he loved me back then in this affectionate way in this war. No, he loved me so far beyond that. 
And it wasn't until I understood that by watching it in the people in my life did I finally open my hands and receive that gift of salvation, of love and grace and mercy. But the best way for people to see that, to experience it, is to see it in you and me, to see it in the church, to see it in people who are followers of Christ. That's the only way. For them to experience transformation, they gotta see it in us. And I think here at Hope, we want to be a church, right? We want to be a church, a family that lives by faith in Jesus Christ, who is known by the, our, uh, the, our love for one another, not just for the love of those in here, right? But, but also then to be a voice of hope in this world. But we cannot do any of those things if we don't choose to love those, those who aren't easy to love in a sense. It's way easy to love someone who loves you back. That's easy. I get to... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the worship team up as we kind of close. I get the opportunity to officiate a lot of wedding ceremonies. And I, I growing up, I hated going to weddings. I, I just couldn't stand it. I, I know some of you are still in that boat. Like, yeah, I hate it. Um, but I, because I do them now and I officiate a lot of weddings, I, I have made it my goal to just make this the best experience, not just for the two up there. Yes, most importantly for that couple, but for everyone else here to understand why we even do these things. And one of the things that I often say to couples in that moment is something like this. The love that you have for each other is seen not just through your words, but through your actions. And the greatest act that you can show your spouse is what you're willing to give away. What you're willing to sacrifice, what you're willing to give in that sense of attention, your time, your finances, your resources, your preference, but most importantly, your heart. Are you willing to give that away? Because that is vulnerable and it has the ability to hurt. And I usually end with something like this. As you know, it's more than meeting in the middle. It's more than meeting halfway. It's about pursuing them when it's difficult and loving them in their least lovable moment. I think if we're all honest with each other, we have lovable moments, I mean, unlovable moments at times. For some of us, maybe more than law, a few times. <laughs> Yet God so loved you. God, love, God loves you. He loves you knowing that you're going to be unlovable <laughs> again and again. And I wonder, what would it look like if our church loved people in their most unlovable moments and said, I don't care. I love you anyway. I love you in spite of that. I love you still. And I won't stop. I think if a church is known for that kind of love, people, people, are gonna, people won't be able to stay away from that kind of stuff. They'll, they'll be so drawn to it like 
bugs to alight, like, like, just, like just wanting more of it, like give me more because I don't know where it's coming from. And we're going to go like, I don't either. It's not from me because if it were up to me, I wouldn't love you that much. But I mean, if we're going to be honest, because I, my love can be conditional, very much so. And I'll say this, becoming a Christian and following Jesus and learning his way and reading his word, it has changed and transformed me through the lives of people, of people in this room, through the lives of my family, through the lives of other people who are long gone and not here anymore. But it's been changed through the time that I spent with Jesus. It's changed by the time I've spent with him and how the, my, my willingness to surrender my will to love like him. And I think that more than anything, our church, we want to love this way. But we have to be willing to give it away sacrificially. And so as we end, I want to pray for us. And I want to pray for us in this way, that, that wherever we are on the spectrum, there's no judgment here. Like, like if you're not at that place where you can do that, or... I'm not even saying that we can even squeeze it and like take hold of it and I'm just gonna love people better. No. In fact, I don't think it works that way at all. I think what we need to do is loosen our grip of our understanding of God's love because maybe it was like Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Maybe it was even like the disciples. In fact, if you keep reading that passage, they don't, they don't get it. And that's, that's a lot like me, if I'm honest. I have no clue. And so I want to invite you guys to just stand with us today and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that, again, just in regards to being known by love in our community, ask yourself, what would, what would be different? How would your neighbors be different? How would your school be different? How would those teachers, how would those students, how, how would those coworkers be different? if they knew you by the love that you have for them, not, not, enough, not phileo love, agape love, that only comes from God. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for your word, for your truth, and for the things that we glean from it. Thank you, God, that, that it's not born out of any one of us, me or anybody else here, to love a certain way that you have loved. It's not something that I can just muster up, but it's something that I have to surrender to first. The only way that we can be known by love is to know the one who is love. We have to understand that first for it to then spill out and pour out of us. And so God, I, I pray over people here in this room. I don't know what the relationship is like with you. I don't know what their understanding of your love is, but God, I pray that they understand that they're, they're part of this world, just like me, just like us, and you loved us so much that you sacrificed everything, your son willingly to give it all away, God, because you pursue us, you love us intentionally because you want us to understand, God, that we are people that you value, we are a people that you've placed your identity inside of, your image. And God, you've called us to turn this world upside down to bring your kingdom in. Help us, God, to join with you with that as a church, as individuals. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.